My wife says my music sounds like an alarm clock. Beep, beep, beep. She has something called selective musical anhedonia, which basically means that she doesn't derive any enjoyment out of music. This is true. There are people who listen to music and they don't have any feelings about it. Um, she's one of them. And as you know, I derive huge amounts of enjoyment out of music and I'm a music connoisseur and this is what I spend probably 20% of my time doing and she doesn't care about music and this is a problem in our marriage, like for real. So, you know, we'll be driving around in the car and I'll play a song and I'll be like, what do you think? And she says, it's all right. She says that all the time. Doesn't matter what I play. She's like, it's all right. So I need a mistress, not for sex, but I need a mistress for music that I can ride around in the car with and geek out to music. So if you're listening and you're female, and if you want to ride in the car and geek out to music, reach out to me because I need a music mistress. <laughs> Problem is, it's mostly dudes that like the music that I like. It's, it's very rare that you find women that like house music. Um, they, they exist, for sure, but... Um, you know, if you go to a club, you typically see it's like 70 or 80% dudes and they're all headbanging. So, uh, this is a true story. I played a gig here in Myrtle Beach. It was just a local thing. And I, there was literally, I pressed play and the first kick drum hit and this woman came running up to the booth. And she's like, can you play songs with instructions? And I'm like, songs with instructions? What do you mean? She's like, you know, like the electric slide, like the Macarena. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a long night. And it was a long night. Yeah. So <laughs> there's I think there's something here about taste. You know, I've written about taste on my Substack. stack. Um, I, I, I think women have worse, worse taste in music. I do. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's not highbrow, you know, I'll be, where was I recently? I was playing, I was, I was playing a party in Boston and, uh, you know, I was doing my usual progressive house and somebody came up and asked if I could play James Brown and I'm like, okay, James Brown is great, but you're, we're here and you can see that I'm just playing electronic music. Like, why would I play James Brown in the middle of this? Like, Anyway, what are we here to talk about today? Well, we're starting a new year, um, which I hate. I hate starting new years. It's the worst. Uh, You build up a whole year's worth of good performance, and then it goes out the window, and you're going to start all over again. So as I've said before, unexpected things happen at the beginning of the year. And there's a guy named Brian Shannon who's a technical analyst. He's a friend of mine. And he says that trends don't change just because the calendar rolls over. And I'm like, well, actually, they kind of do because, you know, there's real things that happen when the calendar rolls over. Like there's a lot of tax implications and uh, people reset their performance. So, yeah, I mean, trends do change around the beginning of the year all the time, you know. So I disagree with them on that. What are you going to do in 2023? I have, I have a piece of advice for you. You should save a lot of money. 
you should save a lot of money in 2023 because 2024 is going to be not so good. Uh, I think inflation comes down in 2023, and I think it comes back in 2024, and I think it's going to be much higher, and I think the response is going to be much more severe. I think we're going to have to raise interest rates a lot, and we're going to have a big-time recession in 2024. I think that's very possible. So you save all this cash, and where do you put it? Do you put it in stocks? Well, I mean, that's kind of been the reflex for the last 20 years. You take your cash and put it in stocks. But maybe not this time. Maybe you keep it in cash. Maybe you have it in a high-yield savings account. Maybe you have it in a CD. Maybe you put it in Treasury Direct. You know, but if you can get 45 5% in your cash, that's a pretty good deal. You know? Uh, I think this year is going to be a decent year for stocks. I don't think it's going to be terrible, but you don't, I, I, this is not a year that I want to be taking risk in the financial markets. You know? What if you are planning on buying a house? And you see all these surveys of people, and they say, well, now is a terrible time to buy a house. Yeah, it's definitely not as good as it was before, but what if it gets worse, right? If we get to 2024 and interest rates go to 10%, then it's really not going to be a good time to buy a house. So if you have to buy a house, I would recommend doing it sooner rather than later and lock in a mortgage that's under 6% if you can. That's, that's my advice, you know? Um, otherwise you might miss your window and you're never going to buy a house. So I don't think it's such a, I don't think it's a terrible time to buy a house and prices have come down a bit. So yeah, if we get 10% interest rates in 2024, it's going to be a disaster. So if you can get a mortgage under 6%, you should take advantage of it. And I realize it's not like two and a half percent in 2020. But we're not getting back there. And you know, you know, my, you know my whole thing about how you should pay down your mortgage and build equity. I, th- there are exceptions to every rule, and if you have a two and a half percent mortgage that you got in 2020, my recommendation would be to not pay it down because you're going to have this incredible arbitrage opportunity where you could you could be making 10 percent in your cash and paying a two and a half percent mortgage. So. Now, ordinarily, I advise against that because, you know, if if you're paying a 4% mortgage and you're earning 4.5% cash, uh, there's tax implications. I mean, but if you're talking about a huge difference like that, then keep the debt, you know, for sure. So um, the interest rate on my construction loan is four and a quarter, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm glad I locked it in when I did. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of paying down your mortgage, but I might be keeping that four and a quarter percent rate. So a few years ago, I had a speaker at my conference who said that equity valuations were a function of the volatility of inflation. Now we have a lot of volatility of inflation and stocks were down 20% this year. We are going to have more volatility of inflation. It's going to come down to 4% and then it's going to go much higher. 2023 is going to be an interesting year. Changing the subject briefly, I I read recently that 19% of bankruptcy filers are college students, which is nuts. Now, first of all, you can't discharge your student loans in bankruptcy. It's not student loans. And besides, you don't pay on your student loans until you graduate anyway. Um, Maybe it's car loans. It's probably just credit cards. You know, if, if you think about this, you have like... 
one fifth of all bankruptcy filers are college students. They're they're filing for bankruptcy on credit card debt. That's nuts. And really what this is, is this is something that could be solved with personal finance education for sure. Uh, if, if these people would take a personal finance course in high school, they'd probably be, they would know how credit cards work, I guess, right? Like, this is the whole point, you know? There's actually a chance I'm going to be teaching a personal finance course at Coastal Carolina, which is cool because I could use my new book as a textbook. So I'm kind of excited about that. I would like to do that. And that's the class that I should be teaching. I could teach that every semester for the next 10 years. One last thing. How did I get an interest in personal finance? Honestly, you know, I think personal finance is more complicated than institutional finance. I think it's way more complicated. Uh, it's a big optimization problem. And it, there's, there's a big psychological element to it, too. It, I think it's super, super interesting. And I've been pretty successful in personal finance, and I wanted to share the wisdom that I've accumulated with other people. And I've, I've made mistakes along the way, just not big mistakes. Uh, I bought five houses, and I'm building a six. I've had a bunch of credit cards. I've never carried a balance. I've owned a bunch of cars. And in spite of, you know, for a lot of my adult life, I didn't make much money. I've done pretty well by sticking to the core principles, saving and staying away from debt. But not staying totally away from debt, because debt can be useful to help you achieve your goals if used judiciously. And I've done all this by not being a CF, and I am living proof that it is possible to stay away from debt and save without being one of these Dave Ramsey CFs. So if you like the podcast, if you like the Be Smart podcast, go and give it a positive rating on iTunes. Give it a five-star rating. That would really help. And go to jareddillionmoney.com and check out the website and check out our products and see if there's anything you like. We're going to be putting some more products up there soon. Personal finance is complex, but it doesn't have to be hard. Those are two different things. It's about principles, not rules. Thanks for listening to the Be Smart Podcast. I'm Jared Dillion. See you next time.